I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. What's going on guys? We have a great talk with uh, Margaret Ciccarelli, aka Nomadic Mars. She's one of the best jujitsu athletes on the planet. She's a five-time world champ, so this was pretty cool to get to pick her brain, see how she views movement, how she kind of sees jujitsu as this physical language and dialogue with another human being, and also how psilocybin affected how she you know the lens she viewed movement in general and especially jujitsu from the audio kind of cut in and out but it was good most of the time uh it gets really good at the end so i hope you guys enjoy it let's do it let's do it to it all right nomadic mars i'm really excited to uh chat with you to talk to you and your I'm name is Margot Cicerelli. Did I say that right? Margot Ciccarelli. Almost, almost. Even so, better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a very ethnic name. I'm not really that surprised that a little bit of this pronunciation is very normal. I, I feel like, actually, when I say my name out loud, it's like, I feel like I don't have to say my name out loud most of the time. <laughs> um, most people actually mispronounce my name because I said it to them. So it's usually my fault. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Just change your name to an easier uh, pronunciation. And, you know, your That's kind of the reason for the up. nickname, to be honest. That, like, I can't, I can't fuck it up. Mars? Mars? Got it. So I know you don't want to, but can you tell people how much of a stud you are you're one of the best <laughs> you're one of the oh, best yeah. jiu-jitsu athletes in the world um can you go over your accolades and uh the championships oh, that you have for me <laughs> for you i absolutely i will do it for you so um the kind of breakdown of the five time, because as we all know in Instagram bio space, like to optimize the length of how I describe myself, I just kind of amalgamated everything. But it is two time IBJJF uh, world champion, Federation for uh, Jiu Jitsu practitioners to compete in the International Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Federation, uh, two time World Pro Champion, which is under the UAE JJF Federation, the United Arab Emirates uh, Jiu Jitsu Federation, and Nogi World Champion, which I just got in 2019 of December. Unfortunately, this year it's a little bit more limited. I won. Uh, Oh no, I, I mean, I'm still three-time European champion. I managed to compete before COVID got too crazy in January in uh, Lisbon, Portugal. So that's the 
annual European Championship, again, under the IBDJF uh, Federation. But yeah, that's a little bit of me telling you unwillingly about my accolades. <laughs> but yeah, it's been, yeah. It's been quite, quite a journey. And it's a really interesting time now. As you know, you must be experiencing a little bit of a lockdown competition calendars tore out the window. Not so much. Oh, no, this is uh, the most social time for me ever. But um, <laughs> Actually, I do remember you saying that. <laughs> uh, so it sounds like these are all recent. So you're kind of like in your prime right now, would you say? I would say so. Like, um, there was a year in 2015. For example, like I got a bad injury, like I had a Lisfranc fracture in my right foot, so that kind of took me out of half the season. And then 2016, halfway through, sorry, halfway through 2017, I suffered from like a mild concussion. Again, it semi affected my season. I was still a little bit uh, belligerent <laughs> against doctor's orders going into like the competition season and stuff, but. Uh, I just realized my reaction time was like super slow. I was kind of getting really close to the highest level for a little while, but I would just always kind of miss it. So the last couple of years has been really nice. Um, finally getting to where I want to be on the competitive field. Now just waiting for things to resume pretty much. Yeah. So how is it training during quarantine? Because jujitsu is like a, Part you need another body, right? So, do you have a standalone, like, personal practice you're keeping up for this? Navigating quarantine is quite an interesting construct in my mind because I think it really brings the best arena to build yourself mentally, you know. And I just had a conversation with Clark Gracie, I just came off of IG Live with Clark Gracie, and um. A really interesting part of our conversation actually was once you reach black belt level, it's like becoming a white belt all over again. You know? he, he had said that he had been in black belt for 10 years and I'm almost just closing in close to 10 years. So I can only imagine, oh wow, he has my wealth of experience already at black belt level. That's just like incredible. So he's kind of gone back into this white belt phase where you have to relearn so many new things but rather than using the word relearn I think what I want to highlight rather is the more meta side of things that I'm getting to develop in this time in quarantine whereas you know like when you have the opportunity to be physically training all the time it's too easy to neglect the meta side or I'll do it later I'll do it tomorrow whereas because quarantine has kind of set the parameters of training to be different, like whether I don't have appropriate training partners or I don't have uh, the correct skill level to really challenge me. It kind of, it has kind of helped me in a way through having the restrictions to kind of rethink how can I create an environment that is a little bit more conducive to my learning in this time or rather how do I still build myself in this time in a jiu-jitsu context, whether it's like, what are the physical attributes that makes up a jiu-jitsu athlete? You know, that it's outside of the technique or it's outside of the athleticism. Like, what else can I really develop in this 
time without being overly attached to, oh, I don't have the optimal environment, you know? Because I, I think in other times outside of quarantine, I would be a little bit more, uh, people in the community, know me to be nomadic so I travel uh, I jump from place to place even though my home team is based in New York I often cross train between Hong Kong New York Singapore and stuff so I kind of segment my calendar throughout the year let's say like the main uh, training season is January to June for most jiu-jitsu athletes so during that time I kind of prioritize traveling to countries that I can get the competition training or like the hardest training them and other times in the year i will kind of focus more on like these soft skills kind of like what i'm referring to right now in quarantine so it's really nothing that i'm not used to actually in quarantine just more kind of my self my the dialogue with myself in this time like the first two weeks i think was the most challenging to navigate actually in quarantine just because I was preparing for a competition, I wasn't in the correct uh, frame of mind at the time. Going from like 100, suddenly to like, I wasn't necessarily ready for that switching mode. But after two weeks, it was kind of like a buffer period. And it was kind of okay, all of a sudden, yeah. So I see this just as parameter training, which is something that I'm really fond of talking about in general, in terms of like classroom design and, it's like cross-training dance too, like there's a lot of talk about how do we set certain parameters or certain restraints that really enhances our ability to improvise with more clarity or more intention rather than having too much freedom leads to kind of to more chaos sometimes. Yeah, so that's that would be like constraint-led learning where you set up the environment to produce a specific solution to a problem you would exactly. find in the sport pretty much and something Absolutely. interesting is you said jujitsu kind of has uh, a, a season you would say uh maybe similar to other sports because how i'm thinking of football and other things you sort of. train you have like different phases of training and then you have the season and then you have like playoffs is it right. similar for that sort of less sophisticated but still <laughs> sort of um so there's gi and no gi right so for those of you again who are tuning in gi is jujitsu in the kimono uniform no gi there is no fabric manipulation you cannot grab onto the lululemon leggings or whatever you decide to wear in your no gi um the main gi season exists in Sorry, it exists from January to the end of May. The World Championship that is usually under the IBJJF Federation is always uh, at the end of May. So actually, for me during this time, it's also, again, a very internal process of thinking about like, what am I doing, doing right now in May? Because I'm usually kind of at the last bit of my preparation for Worlds. So it's just really interesting being in the state where the momentum is like it's very like easy going right now it's not like full throttle as it would have been mm -hmm. other years it's a nice introspective period really but yeah like so the season in gi would be january to end of may and then pretty much straight away because 
jujitsu people really lack periodization, which I would hope in the future there are smarter training approaches that would become a little bit more mainstream in the sport. There's this glamorization of the grind mentality that's still so prevalent in jujitsu and like all these stereotypes of like, uh, to do jujitsu, if you do jujitsu, you have to be broken or you have to have arthritis. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. Like, that's, that's a really silly construct to say out loud. That's the secret so, to jujitsu. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Arthritis is a secret. <laughs> and then the no-gi season pretty much starts in like, um, I would say most people say that it starts from October to December. Because the no-gi world championship is usually in December. But there's so many different federations now, and there's so many different promotions. Um, it really is dependent on the athlete. Yeah, that's interesting. I would so say most most athletes follow this calendar. Though. So summer would be the time where you um, are doing some sort of strength training. I, I when I hear people who are hardcore jujitsu practitioners, they're almost anti-strength, like they don't want to put too much importance on it. What's your take on actually? That, that's so interesting. Okay. At least the people on my Instagram, yeah. <laughs> right, right, okay. I, I've heard a few schools of thought on this. Like there's some guys who are so into it, they're like full into powerlifting. So, I mean like initially before jujitsu, I was into powerlifting. Um, there's a lot of, like, I, I think we should talk a little bit about my uh, lineage and it'll make a little bit more sense. So I, I originally, um, I went to university in London. So the guys that I was training with in London, they were all way bigger than me. They were also cross-training in MMA. The only way I could keep up was to be strong. Otherwise, I literally, my body couldn't handle it. So I was trying to make, myself bulletproof essentially you know at least don't get injured was the minimum requirement for me to hang with these mma guys because everybody was at least like 80 85 kilos at the time i'm more like 55 um and at the time like i was closer to 20 20 years old um in my head i implanted this construct in my head that uh like if the guys train once a day in order for me to even keep up I need to be more technical. I have to be training at least twice as much and I have to have a good strength and conditioning program. I have to at least be strong to hang out with these guys. Um, so for me, like strength was always like part of the equation. Funnily enough, like as I got to different world-class camps, like I, I started training in California in Orange County at Arctic Jiu-Jitsu and then I would cross-train between there and Hong Kong. I started being able to train with smaller people. So the emphasis on SNC actually started to diminish a little bit. I still continue to partake in a program, but just simply out of the love for it. Um, not so much out of the necessity, because again, I was training with people roughly my size. So I think the greatest takeaway for me in that period was like, do enough that it's good for injury prevention. And I, I always, I always said this to my teammates too. I think like if you don't have some basic uh, strength program going on, you're probably going to be taken out of training really easily. Um, 
nowadays, there was a phase, there was a period of time where I had absolutely no SNC, and I think it was rather more of an experiment. So I went from like this phase of like taking a lot of supplements, doing a lot of SNC, and then I went completely cold turkey just to see like what would happen as well. And notably, like I have made some observations and still making observations. But going back to what I observe generally in the jiu-jitsu community, I think most people at world-class level or like who are striving to be full-time athletes in jiu-jitsu, they do place quite a lot of emphasis on strength training. At, at least, let's say, maybe like uh, two to three times a week, I would say. Hmm. All of my teammates do SMC. It's almost like, not mandatory, but like they see the importance of it. But if you're not doing it, like you're not almost fulfilling a criteria of what it takes. So in your personal experimentation and research, cutting it out, uh, what have been like the, I'm sure there's benefits to that and maybe drawbacks. So what have you found exploring this? It's been really interesting in certain ways. Of course, we can always consider fatigue, right? Like when I didn't lift, I obviously have a certain amount of energy surplus or like rather like my muscles are not tired in a certain way that I would get from doing uh, max effort on the deadlift or something. Um, but also I think it was just the mental construct again of doing an activity, an extra activity that took away energy that I could have invested into jujitsu. I, I think for me personally, like this is something that I work with a lot in terms of uh, talking about the topic of energy economy. I think how we talk to ourselves and how we frame things can influence actual performance so much, right? I think just by even the simple act of thinking about investing my energy and doing something else that isn't jujitsu, it, it took a really long time to think, to try and almost reframe it in my head that you have energy to do both. You don't have to keep thinking that if I invest my energy here, that it's going to take away from jujitsu, and then you almost have an excuse to say, oh, that's why you got your guard passed, or that's why you didn't perform as well. You know, so it, it became more like this challenge in my mentality a little bit. Um, at the beginning, when I took it out, I think there were a lot of, uh, I, I viewed, I interpreted it as there were a lot of positives that, again, I had more energy and so on and so forth. But with time, what I realized was I wasn't as resilient to the injuries. So like almost like my hypothesis became true at that point that oh, I'm going to start getting a lot more injuries than before. So when I was lifting, I almost, I had one injury in maybe like uh, three, four years of consistent training. Then suddenly, like when I started to feel the effect of the lack of uh, strength training, it was like, even if it was a minor, like I, I tweak, a, tweak a toe or uh, like I was slightly, uh, hurt my knee or something it was just coming up more and more like like little ticks like just cumulatively cumulatively even if it was just something small and again it could be partially mirror because i started thinking like oh like 
I think the, essence, the lack of essence, the lack of uh, strength training is starting to take a toll. So I would just, I started to evaluate the relationship of pain a little bit at this point, because I think I was also becoming more sensitive to it. I think just the act of having to, you know, like when you're going ass to grass with squats, like sometimes you really think you can't get up from that squat. Like there's a certain mentality that challenges you and I'm mean, like, get the fuck out of the hole, get the fuck out of the hole. I, I think how it affected my mentality taking away, like I, I had to really process that and think like, okay, it's painful, but it's not necessarily damaged, is it? Um, so I, I think when you have to do hard sparring every day, you understand the risk of injury. That's, you know, like if you're sparring hard five, six uh, times a week, it becomes, you almost have to habituate yourself to the fact that number one, the likelihood of injury is high, but I think this is going a little bit more on a tangent, but because of certain cross-training outside of uh, jiu-jitsu such as dance, there was like certain conditioning to being almost hyper-aware to certain sensations in the body that it made me almost too aware of certain sensations that I was uh, interpreting everything, like even an increase in tension in my, in my right shoulder, I would think, oh, that, that's really bad. I, I'm going to get injured. Whereas it's just the body's protective mechanism, you know, just like work it out, do some like uh, mobility or work with it. Sorry if I get on too many tangents. It's a very good uh, forte of mine. <laughs> it's an interesting tangent. Yeah. So increased sensitivity was one of the uh, byproducts you noticed when you removed uh, conventional strength and conditioning. Yeah, that's. that's yeah, to sum it up, pretty much, I, I think so. I, again, like I don't think we can put it down to just saying like, hey, the removal of strength training caused that, because I think it was also the addition to dance, which because so I would don't say all all types of dance will do this to people, right? But more specifically, because I was uh, I was more engaged with contemporary dance and again like more somatic practice like Feldenkrais and stuff, where like you're really trying to feel everything in your body. That that heightened awareness just almost gave me paranoia about <laughs> there's tension here, or like this is winging, or that's happening. So it it just became this like very introspective, paranoid practice of like oh. I asked myself too many questions, but now it, it, that this process of narrowing down like what were the better questions? Like, was I being paranoid for the right reasons? Was it neuro? So then it kind of branched out into this exercise of, okay, I will talk to this physical therapist, or I'll talk to this guy who specializes in PRI. And then it just led to more research, really. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't tell people that I'm the most, educated in every field. I don't think anyone has uh, knowledge of everything, right? So I think it's so important to just really strive to educate, especially as athletes, you know, where like, I think it's really easy sometimes just to like, iron away and training and just get really tunnel vision about certain things. So, oh yes, I try and 
kind of prioritize between the ebb and flow of like trying to educate myself and uh, of course investing myself into talking to guys like you and like Murph who like again like I, I just love how much you guys trying to increase your knowledge I think it's fucking fantastic well, I, I try to decrease my knowledge as much as possible <laughs> I've actually <laughs> seen where people go accumulate education and that is actually a cause of perceived pain or almost nocebo from going to these things like, oh, I'm, I'm missing this quality or I'm missing this capacity or this assessment says I'm off or I'm not moving the functional way. And it creates all these conceptual, almost like right and wrongs that you're now aware of that you're off. Or like you said, oh, this tension's lacking here. Or, you know, is something wrong with this? And um, yeah, I think... I think there's something to athletes just being numb and ignorant and, <laughs> and having grit, you know? <laughs> um, so, but yeah, that's, it's a, that's an interesting. It's a tool that, that could be used to. both ways. Absolutely. I totally agree. But interesting. Actually, when I took dance away from practice for a little while, I just purely, only the jiu-jitsu training i did become a little bit again like i, I use the word habituate but like I, I initially like let's say week one week two i was still like really aware of like, all these tensions this and that but like over the weeks i like i i felt like i still had the same amount of tension in my body but it no longer was getting flagged as like a threat in my body that my body had somehow recognized it as like oh, this is your baseline, you're okay. And it became manageable. I didn't necessarily perceive there to be more tightness than usual. But I think, again, it's all through this constant refining of asking yourself the right questions. Um, I think it can really easily go into what you were saying, like, oh, like, I don't feel right. Because, like, yourself. But then I think it's more like connecting it back to like yourself, really at the most basal level. Um, you can't believe anything that's out there, right? Otherwise, like the information overload will really kill you. I, I, I think something that I'm striving to do by talking to other two people is like take everything, so see how it is applicable in your practice, if it is at all. But I really actually liked what you said about decreasing Bruce I think maybe a, I think you actually put it better just questioning or, or finding better questions because when I look back personally on uh, and people I've worked with on issues that have arisen from exercise a lot of them were from cues like oh shoulders back and down you got to keep those that retraction or knees out and that actually leads people to just an imbalance or too far to an extreme. And, um, it's too black and white. Oh uh, yeah. Almost, almost having to always find the opposite and undo it is a way to unravel that. But then that, you know, and you hear people say there's no right or wrong way to move. Um, you know, you're just expressing yourself. 
But do you feel like that applies to a sport like BJJ where physics and efficiency and leverages are, are very defined? Um, do you have the same kind of mindset as there's no black or white uh, as far as technique? Wow, this is a really, <laughs> we could go <laughs> and we can like talk about this topic all day long pretty much. Um, I think you're extremely right in saying, you know, like with technique, there are certain principles and there are certain things that need to be obeyed. Like there's no, however, given that you obey those underlying principles and such, you definitely have so much room to do it. You know, but before you truly embody those, embody the understanding of those principles, it's gonna be a little bit difficult to stop. There's a certain level again of really drilling a technique and really understanding certain, certain fundamentals before you can try to express yourself. If you are completely lacking and then you just try and express yourself, it's just, it's misguided. <laughs> so it is a little bit black and white in that sense. But again, I think if we think about it more in terms of like the technique is a certain parameter, everything else can be a little bit more gray. I, I think there's so many things that we, that we have in this like ecosystem of jiu-jitsu that isn't necessarily limited to technique alone. There's like the, the rhythm and the tempo. There's uh, more broad concepts like space management, distance management. How do you pair space and time together? Because if I occupy this space and I understand to move around your body, if I take it away and circle this pathway to your back now, I understand that you're required to fall into that space just due to the force you to gravity here. I think understanding more of these general concepts, once you have the basal uh, movement understanding or whatever the fundamental principles in lock, you can really unlock a lot um, in terms of expressing yourself. But I also think Again, this was a conversation I was uh, having earlier a little bit. It, it takes time, you know, it's really the experience because you can have the knowledge and you, you may not feel like you can ever express yourself because you're just continually emulating someone else. That reminds me of the... Um, if that sort of answers your question. Yeah, I think Picasso said, learn the rules like a pro so you could break them like an artist. So it sounds like you need to have just a, some sort of. I think it, it's 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 very true to a certain level. Yeah, but I don't think you need to know all the rules. Like, don't get me wrong as well. Like, if you have every single rule in order to play the game, then ah, uh, it, it it would be really difficult to play and explore. But I think even if you know a rule and a little bit of like the second rule, so one and a half, one and a half rules, you know. I still think you have the ability to play within understanding that, you know, like you don't need all 10 rules to be able to play a little bit and see the gray area, you know, because like once you see the gray area and a little bit of black and white, I think it's to realize, ah, okay, I can express myself with this, but I can't go much further just yet. 
So that kind of guides that journey to mastery. At least it did for me, you know, because like I, I found really early on that I could be creative and express myself through like a certain movement vocabulary in jiu-jitsu. But then it became more of this game of, oh, what don't I know? Or I know this, but I can't necessarily say that I can express myself through this. I would be just emulating what I know, but I, I don't really know it just yet. So then it became more a task of like, how do I engage in more collaborative rolling first without resistance, slowly add more resistance along the way to a point where I can go full resistance with someone. And I think at that point when you can really use those emulations and then start to find a way to do it with like, pull out resistance, you slowly find these ways to express yourself because certain tendencies or certain preferences will come up in your way of fighting. Like everyone has a preferred way of fighting. Like I consider myself a bit more of a counter-offensive player. I'm not aggressive right off the bat. I really enjoy reading what you want to do. So I'll be more like, it'll be more like we're doing push hands. I'm not going to really necessarily make the first move. I just make sure that I have my boundary. I kind of have like this dynamic defensive structure going on. I'm still in motion. I'm not losing, but we're kind of at a neutral. And I just feel like there's constant attempts from my training partners, my opponents, trying to penetrate this defense. But I'm just like, if I'm here in front of you, I feel like there's an impulse of force coming this way. I just allow into this space so I keep almost like redirecting redirecting and so I'm like okay I want to go now and I find the way off of that so I, slowly as you engage in every exchange and every role you find out how you want to express yourself as well which I think it, it's a really beautiful thing because for me jiu-jitsu is a way of really discovering discovering yourself it's a process of self-discovery if you let it take a lot of people, they get stuck on the technique forever, you know? And this is actually something as a teacher that I want to share more. But this is also me being very self-indulgent in, uh, in this way of being, you know? Because I, I think, for example, because I, I can't train as much jiu-jitsu, as you said, it's a partner practice. Um, I've taken up more running recently and even in running, I'm thinking more about like, oh, the weight shift from this leg, like how, how can I reduce the impact that's going through my body? Um, thinking about energy economy, but they're all things that I think about actively in jiu-jitsu. I'm thinking about weight shift. Like how can I shift the weight further into the far side leg so that the near side leg is going to be light, I can lift it. Once the leg is elevated, this means I have the space now to move my body and continue to sweep, to continue the pathway through space to reverse the position. So for me, that's also me expressing myself through running, expressing my jiu-jitsu through running that way. But it's also very abstract, you know? I think it's very esoteric, certain things that I say out loud. I try to say to jiu-jitsu people, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? We just want to do jiu-jitsu. So it's all perspective. <laughs> Yeah, it, I let it study take me behind that rabbit hole, you know. 
embarking upon it. Yeah, it, one of the cool things about how you approach training is you infuse a lot of like deep thinking and philosophy in your physical practice. And I'm wondering, has that, has that like informed how you live your life at all, like outside of sport and movement? I think that, I think it's so important that it does have an influence. investing so much time into anything that you do like i think really you have, it's you have to again this is more choice that through my practice i had these observations and i use these observations to influence the way that i see the world but also just for example if i give you an example of a role with someone. I always describe a role as a the non-verbal dialogue. It's like we're having this conversation right now, just the physical, you know? And I ask myself questions even like, what does touch convey? If I touch you really aggressively, I'm telling you right now. It's like I'm arguing with you. Is that how I want to start a conversation with you? I'm like, no, that's not how I want to start a conversation. And in life, like I don't, I'm more aggressive character. And it also transcends into my jujitsu. I, I don't grip people when we started exchange. Rather, I grip really gently and I escalate it. Um, if I talk a little bit more about the jujitsu approach. I'll talk about this later, actually. Otherwise, I'm going to go on another tangent. Um, just observing certain things like that made me think about how I communicate with other people, too, like how I like to be communicated with. Um, it's conflict resolution, you know? Um, it's conflict resolution with bodies, but it made me think, like, oh, like, I have almost a very timid approach. If I think about it, like, oh, I, I like if the other person would say their piece first and then I'll add to it and not necessarily always going to be super proactive with how I communicate. But that, that observation alone made me want to be more proactive with my communication. Like, don't always let the other person speak first. Like, it's really okay. Just certain things like that started to come up for me. Um, injuries and stuff it's um it just made me evaluate even if it wasn't something like a physical injury like how, how would I deal with it going away from injury and to like even how I encounter how how do I perceive how do I perceive hard training like what is the parallel from training and life because some that don't I would see every competition session as extremely stressful. Like almost like my body went into a fight or flight mode that 
I had to eat everything in the fridge before I could be ready <laughs> to <laughs> go to competition training because it felt like I was just going to war. It was like so physically hard. I would be just, just so physically drained. I dragged myself around, around New York and <laughs> dragged myself home, just go straight to sleep at night. I had no energy for anything else in my life. And this actually will lead into something really nice. Um, I had uh, to real think quick, about Mars. all of this again in quarantine, you know? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, you're. So you're breaking up on, on my end. So I'm going to change my Wi-Fi one more time. It's probably me. Okay, no problem, no problem. And then I'll get right back on. it's called experimentation and it's purely just movement on psilocybin pretty much and um feeling during that time of movement just felt so uninhibited that even any like for example any places where i felt tension in my body it just felt like my body completely and that i had literally infinite ways to move my body that i never knew before it just like unlocked like my body had almost had padlocks in so many different ways that my mind was just open to it oh i can can move in this part but before almost like my body had been conditioned to certain pathways over time that it became so combined but again like just being under the influence of like um also for context like i always in those situations, I had always set the intention to explore as well. Like, I, I, of course, I never really necessarily know if that is what is that where the trip is going to take me. But each time that I did try and experiment, I always felt this sensation of like this body reset where I would suddenly change, even like even in terms of like mobility and flexibility and stuff i sometimes prior to the trip i I'm, okay, i can't move here i can't uh, but then suddenly just completely uninhibited if i think more in terms of uh jiu-jitsu context like why i was uh, under the influence i felt like there was certain video moves I had seen during the day before um, the trip that suddenly they would make a lot of sense. If it was really difficult for me to process before, it became much clearer to me to really go and if I had to go and execute it the next day, it just mastered it in a way just from looking at it visually. Um, I would be really curious to try psilocybin. Um, but I think really more like the after effect, like when I did go to jujitsu, because of all that, because of the reset, because of that sensation of feeling so uninhibited, it also really opened my lens. So not just thinking from the language of jiu-jitsu, 
so this was or this already like a couple of pops by right um i i think prior to being exposed to psilocybin like i i still thought from mainly in i would still regard it as fairly open still interested in movement culture and stuff so it wasn't like i was rigid to try and meet or trying to blend things together but I can really see like if I saw a movement from dance I could probably find some way to apply it and uh, almost insert some functionality just because I can somehow now take really abstract movements and insert a function so I, I think more than anything I don't think it even has to really pertain to having to do jujitsu in that moment, you know, like really how it evolved my thought process and how I can create that's almost really limitless and priceless. It's the way now, like, I think a lot of people try and create moves in jujitsu, or they try and say, hey, I created this, I invented this, or Oh, I did this really fancy move. And a lot of people debate whether fancy moves work or not because of the idea of functionality. But I really think that I have this great ability to grab something extra abstract. I think it's one of, I, again, I, you know, I don't like bragging about myself, but I would brag about this <laughs> talent. Good. <laughs> so what, what are what were the doses you're using when you were doing this movement exploration? Each time I never went over three grams. I I, I think I mean talking in present curious to try um, different dosages and see like what would happen. But yeah, I never went over three. Um, it's pretty big. <laughs> that was yeah i mean i have a lot of friends who also tried and them to do jiu-jitsu and they I mean, they weren't necessarily doing jiu-jitsu at the time but they were like uh taking psilocybin and stuff but for them that was very average i was like whoa really okay <laughs> but yeah i mean i think when you set the intention to be something constructive and you're in a good setting you're in a good space i think really go for it you know and of course like i always recommend you know like if you haven't done it before then like have have someone who's like looking after you and stuff and don't allow yourself to get to that point of paranoia or, like make sure like everyone is well versed in what you're doing but i, I honestly think Again, like we we talked about this a little bit. There was just so much stigma around the topic of like talking about this anything wrong with it. Again, it's always human choice and perspective, you know. Like it, it it's seen as because there's human tendency to overdo things or not to moderate or I wanna do it to have a good time. And that's also a good enough reason, you know, but again, it's, yeah. it's just how, how do you choose to use it? Are you going to abuse it? Are you going to try to do 10 grams? Well, maybe that's not such a good idea, 
you know, for the first time I didn't. Or a great idea. Again, I think also going back to, yeah, it could be a great, a phenomenal idea. I think Jiu-Jitsu also taught me about like, you know, that again, like going back to right or wrong, that's just an opinion. Like, like in terms of technique, yes, there's certain black and white and then there's the gray, but like whatever choice, you like if you choose to do a certain move that there's no superior there's no inferior you know like some people say oh this game is superior to that game that's just your opinion and you know like all of us will have a different perspective and different preferences different biases and stuff and i i think also you know i think taking suicide and also of course like facilitated this introspective process much much more um I definitely feel like I ask better questions, you know, just because I, my lens has developed in a certain way that now, like, once the lens develops in a certain direction, at least this is all me talking from personal experience, you just have a better pathway to ask, like, okay, like, this question now leads this way down the rabbit hole. And then suddenly you're just exploring so much terrain cerebrally that you take it into the physical landscape and it's like, where am I? This is amazing. Because <laughs> I think the way that I really view the jiu-jitsu landscape is so different from other jiu-jitsu practitioners that when I, sometimes when I come to that, not necessarily conclusion because it's kind of never ending, but <laughs> it, it's a really interesting way, like how we can play with certain parameters, how, how we can really develop the lens. Like if I develop your lens, you can develop my lens. I mean, then it's just this continual process of building questions, building questions, building questions. So if you were to take your current like meta representation of jujitsu, I'm sure it's beyond like a sport right now. And it's, it's something very large as practice. Where do you see it? Like, what do you think, can be done through that practice in affecting other people or teaching other people or showing perspective and experience? Uh, it's, it's, it's so mixed, you know, and it what do you want to get out of the arts? And I say arts rather than sport, because I think there's some people who practice the sport and some people who practice the arts. A lot of my, a lot of my friends only practice the sport. To really practice the art, you need to allow it to, you need to let it be a connecting piece to other parts of your life. You know, again, like I, I haven't only done jujitsu in the martial arts realm. Like I had a classical like a Chinese martial arts background when I was younger and stuff. I think that was also largely very beneficial to this more philosophical lens and more internal, uh, more internal, more introspective um, inquiry that I'm like really fond of doing. I, I think in our modern society, like a lot of us are very focused on the external, the aesthetic, or like how something should look, you know? And I, I think that is important. Like, you know, if a move in jiu-jitsu doesn't look like how it should, then it's, to a certain extent, there's something missing still, right? Like, so, so if you can already obey the aesthetic, you're, you're kind of halfway there. But then there's so much of like, you know what, 
a lot of the Gracies called the invisible jujitsu. It's not that it's invisible. Yeah, you, the eye can't see it, but something else has to feel it. Like there is that sensitivity that you have to read skin to skin or like somehow you, you have to learn how to read it. And I think through developing this internal, this introspective process, you begin to make that invisible a lot more clear that now you can see it in whichever way you say see really means to you, you know, like seeing, feeling, soul perspective. I think as a teacher, as a coach, I, I almost try to teach in this more embodied way of linking obviously classical way of teaching jiu-jitsu step by step like you have to almost show this choreography first you have to learn how to emulate first there's i don't think there's a way around it because to get too conceptual or to talk about all of this too early it can be overwhelming you know like there's just if someone wants to achieve all of this on day one it's like uh you're going to be very disappointed you know like you have to really want to stick it out you have to really be able to develop the passion to invest into the arts that you will find your answers, you know? It's like just being on the path of self-actualization, discovering yourself, discovering who you are, you know? I think if you can kind of frame jiu-jitsu or whatever your discipline is, you know, it could be weightlifting, it could be uh, dancing. If that's your choice and you keep choosing to invest your time to discover who you are, then I think that's, uh, that's how I present the art. And I know I, I sort of deviated, can you, what was the question again? I deviated a little bit from that. I have no idea. The answer is better than I, <laughs> who cares about the question? <laughs> um, but, but I mean, like, I, how I see it is really seeking the truth, you know, like seeking the truth in who you are. Because like, uh, how I see it, how I see life in general is that, well, what is our purpose? You know, like, what actually does make matter? babies? To like, it's a conversation I have a lot with uh, myself. Really, like, there's certain things we want to accomplish, but does it actually matter in all of this? So like. Who, who is going to stand by your side until the end of time? It's really yourself, isn't it? And if you want to better understand other people, or like what better place than trying to understand yourself? And I think uh, a phrase that comes to mind for me is awareness through movement, which, you know, it's like that is kind of the slogan of the Feldenkrais practice. And I think movement is a great medium to really better understand ourselves. You know, like you don't, like if it's yoga, for you then great or if it's singing for someone else then great you know but like my my bottom line even if someone like comes to jiu-jitsu and they quit like i would hope that they take away some of these lessons from me. i don't necessarily strive for people to be in the art forever although that's really nice if they do but if they can take something away that maybe will help them better their life then that's that's a great that's a great achievement for me I guess turning it to more uh, a practical question, what yeah. would what are some things you would recommend give tips for a beginner uh, jujitsu practitioner? A better question: What are tips? What would you tell me, someone who's, <laughs> who has no experience at all, if I want to get good at jujitsu? I think the best 
the best way that I've taught beginners so far, and again, everything is always a work in progress, you know, we're trying to get better day by day. But I think having clarity and understanding what the objectives are. I divide the objectives personally into two things. So it's the movement objective and the finishing objective. So the movement objective is mainly like, where do I want to be in space around your body? And what am I trying to achieve with this movement? So usually I would say, ah, I'm trying to get past your hip line because I need to get past your hip line in order to isolate your shoulder line and your head. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to really get to a controlled position. Because if I can control your head, you can usually control your spine. If I can control that, then I know that you're not going to move around as much. If I grab your toes, I don't know if I'm going to really be able to control you really well, right? But if we have to think of the body as a ladder, and I want to get to the top of the ladder, your head being at the top of the ladder, right? Your toes, your knees being at the bottom of the ladder. I have to usually start at this point, like for example, if you're standing and I'm lying down, your aim is to get to my shoulders or to my head. Again, the first checkpoint will be the toe line because you're standing, I would assume, just beyond my toe line. But from the toe line, there's the knee line. And then from the knee line, it's the hip line. So I have to really understand how to break down structure. Like don't think I just need to get to the head necessarily straight away. Or if you're talented enough, you think of a movement, like how you can use certain footwork but I think something that is really underrated and that there's not enough discussion of footwork in jiu-jitsu. I think what beginners do well, because like as most humans, we spend most of our life walking, like we're quite well versed on our feet. We're not really that good on our backs, you know? And as a beginner, if you put them on, if you put a beginner on their back, they kind of look like a baby <laughs> that was just born pretty much, you know? Um, I think starting from a point of reference that you're more familiar with will make it easier to refine certain pathways quicker. So if you can already see, ah, okay, like if I move like this, this happens, or this reaction is here. Whereas I think if you start off of your back, there's a little bit of a immediate information overload. Like you're not too sure where to look, you're not too sure how to frame. Yeah, it's not always common sense for many people. Again, it's not really applying to you. I, I don't know your, your grappling experience, but I, you'll, I assume that you're a good mover, that you would have some good instincts to like get up at the knees and you shake your head. But, Non-existent. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> but I think starting, starting from the feet, so I would teach a beginner more passing techniques than guard techniques. I would teach all the fundamental control positions, but again, I would teach more the construct or rather the ideas of having clear idea what the objectives are and then slowly building up of that. I think once you have that clarity and you have a little bit of understanding of the footwork, a little bit of understanding of like oppositional force, direction of force, things get like, they all fall into place much quicker rather than what happens in most jujitsu classes is that the teachers follow what their predecessors taught them. And just because it got taught to you, like, I don't believe you have to teach it the same way. You know? If there's a more efficient way to do it or to enhance someone's understanding, then start from there, you know, or do whatever the person is most comfortable to do first. You know? that, that's, that's my best piece of advice. 
Yeah, that that makes that makes sense. I'm gonna use the ladder um, image next time, passing through rung to rung. And each one of those <laughs> rungs is probably like you have a whole uh, world, uh, a map laid out in your head at an advanced level at each one of those. But for me, it's just like get to the next one. Again, <laughs> <laughs> I think again, like the the like the psilocybin trips definitely opened up the map. Like I, I like this term body mapping a lot because again in the jujitsu landscape, you know, when you learn certain sequences, you have an idea of what the pathway looks like. Like almost like a trajectory. Like if I look from my if I build or paint this trajectory from my eyeball to where I want to be in space, I can almost see like, okay, I need to be on the the left side of your rib cage, I need to perform a certain pathway in order to get to that position. At the moment, I'm occupying this space, and you have this structure on you. So I, I I slowly kind of get to like paint these pathways across your body, almost like having like multiple. Uh, what what do the Americans call it? Like I'm British by birth, so I say motorways. You guys say like what highway? highway. I know I'm living in New York. I should be better than this. Highway, highway. <laughs> okay. Like all these highways, <laughs> or rather like a roadmap, you know. So I, I understand I could take this way, this way, this way. But yeah, that that really that really expanded, you know, like almost like in a very video game kind of sense, like oh. unlocking new maps almost. Like rather than it be grayed out, like I suddenly added the color, I could understand like okay, it's not just the I think a big roadblock for me before was that I, I had the pathways painted for me in terms of like the sequences that I learned, right? So if we had to say like a, a clean and jerk or a snatch, like I would have those pathways kind of painted out, but all that was in between, that was just more in the lens of general movement. Like I can just use general movement to move in between that and it's still okay. But I think the, there was still a roadblock at the time that I was just moving accordingly to the pathways, almost like playing a game of Tetris. That, mm-hmm. okay, I can do this or this or this or this or this or this. And they all obey certain lines or certain arcs around the body. But what about all that empty space between the lines <laughs> and between the arcs? Like I can still actually occupy that space just by moving. It's not that hard. But that took that took some time until so, you know, like continually like I opened the lens, open the eye, open the third eye. I was like, oh wow. Suddenly my jujitsu had transformed. Like just that little roadblock being lifted had completely changed my jujitsu. That reminds me of you when you were saying pathways, I was picturing the brain and like those psilocybin studies where you have these neural pathways that are well ingrained and that you kind of habituate. The, through the default mode network that you use every day and it's like you're driving unconsciously something like that but once under psilocybin they all kind of light up and all these connections are made in these new different areas which isn't efficient exactly how I, you probably wouldn't exactly survive well yeah but when you see it <laughs> open up when you're like oh that connects to that or that's a new way to that then you can kind of yeah. keep it I remember I would take a walk behind my house every day. And one for years, I would take this walk. 
and uh, I was on a microdose one day and I just, I took a different way on the walk and I discovered this field. And if you see the rocks, uh, when I'm lifting rocks in some of these videos, it was this uh, part of the field I discovered just taking a different way. And I'm thinking I could have done that for 10 years, 20 years, who knows if it wasn't that, hmm, I'm going to look over here or just be aware of something new. And that's beautiful. Your picture of how you conceptualize jujitsu is just all these pathways in, in kind of this three-dimensional landscape of how you can move and how you could traverse and seeing new ones and your lens opens up and now you're seeing this in a totally different way. And the, like you said in the beginning, you have to learn the technique and the, the moves, quote unquote, first so that you can do something with them and you could go outside of the black and white boundaries. And I think it's fascinating to watch someone at your level on how you're just creating this rich, complex experience in language when you're doing this movement communication with someone else. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that when I look at, I'm like, I want to get a taste of that <laughs> experience. Like that's what I want to work <laughs> for. And being able, like for me, it's like, I want to like create a sentence in your writing, like poetry or novels and yeah, with practice and with experience and with, you know, working on communication like you're doing, I think that's a cool human experience we could have is this physical language that we could share with each other and uh, appreciate from one another. I think it's also really interesting, you know, that you never have to really, when, when your lens opens up like that, you never really have to look outside of yourself for practice because I, I think, you know, as much as Jujutsu is a partner practice, and it's a physical language, again, like, that is really dependent on having someone else there. But I think having my lens so open, it, it allows me to also kind of replicate the same thought process for other things, you know? Like, I'm, I don't feel like I need any other tools to really have a rich practice. And I think it also can lead into a really interesting conversation of like solo practice and self-practice, like, I think, again, that was the appeal to me from contemporary dance that you can create a playground for yourself from the empty space and your body. And someone who does this so well, and he's a very close friend of mine, is uh, Tom Wexler. And mm -hmm. he originally had a capoeira background, and he's a professional dancer. We do jiu-jitsu every time we meet up uh, around the world and stuff, at dance festivals and stuff. But what he does at his workshops pretty much like he has this empty dance hall empty studio he sets like a parameter like maybe like it's a duration of two songs and there's a song specifically like he chooses the songs to evoke a certain quality in the movement so song one and song two will have two different qualities already and you don't really even know that until he tells you later so he will give like one other uh, restraint or he will give like an instruction, but it's, again, it's just like a slight restraint that you kind of think of like, for example, uh, for someone you can't move your feet, you're completely fixed in that position, but you have closed eyes. And for the second song, you open your eyes. And if you really, really have the impulse to take a step, 
and you take it, but you have to really exaggerate that stuff. Or he would do some sort of, uh, he'll make some sort of uh, prompt like that. And I was like, wow, like you don't actually need much to have a movement practice. You don't really need anything outside of yourself and a little bit of uh, imagination sometimes. And I think, especially in a time like now, you know, like where we feel like, oh my God, we're so repressed. We have to sit at home. We have to, we just have to wait until this is over. Like, uh, I can't go to fitness classes. I can't do this. I can't do that. Right? It's a, it, it's a choice, right? Like it, it always is a choice. You don't have to sit at home and do nothing. Try something new today. Like maybe maybe you start dancing with fixed feet on the floor today. <laughs> but I think it's just like really inspiring in, in my practice overall, like having been able to just see like how like how how many different ways you can also improvise, you know, because like again tying it back to jujitsu. Jiu-jitsu is all improvisation at a certain level, right? Like, I, I can't really do choreographed routine with you. I, I don't aspire to either. <laughs> um, so I wanted to really engage in as many different improvisational practices as possible, whether collaborative or resistive. So this also led to my curiosity in contact improvisation, which is, uh, if you're familiar with it, rather I would just give a little bit of idea to the viewers. Um, Contact improvisation came from modern dance, and essentially, it's like collaborative jujitsu. Really, I would say <laughs> there's no joint joint loves, there's no chokeholds, but you're just trying to move around each other's bodies. You can do like partner lifts and all sorts, and you're just blending all different movement disciplines together. There's like capoeiristas who go to these contact jams where they will just see how they can move together. Doesn't necessarily even mean through touch, could also mean just through like the eyes, through the gaze. It was really, really interesting being able to try all these different um, practices and prove the ability to improvise. And I think again, could lead into a really interesting topic of rhythm and timing. But all of those things, they, they were questions that were really inspired from trips and stuff like really trying to embrace more this idea of like uh, even a certain sort of musicality you know like the musicality that I really enjoyed in dance I was like oh there's a tempo here this tempo is influencing how I move but then you know like also the the tempo at which my partner moves that also influences how I move you know I can choose to play at a lower tempo slower tempo rather but all, all of these things affect me. Yeah, questions. So many of them. Yeah. I was just talking to a, a friend who's a fighting monkey practitioner. And it, it, the conversation always comes up about specificity and then like other things that cross over to your practice. And he was saying the idea of, hey, maybe doing these coordinations he was practicing with music. Um, might not be might not carry over or you could have that as a crutch if you have to find an internal rhythm to do something or if you have to read someone else and you get used to this song that you like to do it to and then it makes me think of like if you're 
doing this contact um, improvisation and then you go into jujitsu with the intention of doing it as a sport. I wonder if it has the same carryover as you who is adept at the sport and then you go into that and you already can find all the connections going back to what you do inside the game. So do you think, <laughs> and it makes me think of movement culture with the tennis balls and everything. Do you, <laughs> do you think you have to reach a certain level of skill in order to be able to get the same amount of benefits from these other movement practices? I in terms of carryover. Right, right, right. I, I've seen some people who they purely just practice contact improvisation. Um, they're contact artists, so to speak. Um, and I've invited them to go to jujitsu. And it carries over very well because I think it's more this idea of developing sensitivity to like certain ideas like uh, giving and receiving waves, you know, because there's all these underlying principles, again, that they cross over to a certain point. And once you have this idea, like, if I give a more coherent example, like in contact improvisation, there's a lot of roles. So this, this idea of like, you have to make yourself feel light to your partner, because if you're heavy, you are a burden and you're heavy to lift and you could injure them, right? So it's kind of like this uh, universal respect all the time. Like you wouldn't want to be heavy because it's just not enjoyable. It's like, it's supposed to be a symbiotic dance, you know, like you help each other to move through the space. Again, this idea of collaboration, um, whereas in Jiu-Jitsu it's the opposite, you know, so it's more like how do you translate it? You don't want to be light, you want to be heavy. So it's just like, do you, do you take what you understand from your practice and now go into Jiu-Jitsu, understand you need to be resisting? I, I think most times, even people with just a little bit of contact experience get into jiu-jitsu really well. But I think it's, again, more this idea of the sensitivity training. Because I would assume someone who does like Tai Chi push-ups, uh, maybe they've been training a year, year and a half, and hopefully they're not just always imposing. If they're imposing, it's a different story. So it's a different sort of Tai Chi, I would say. But if they have learned to really embrace that flow that beautiful flow that you can really create in that environment, I think the crossover is there. Like they would definitely grasp a lot of uh, movements much faster. So again, I think if you've had any sort of body-to-body -body contact, it makes a lot more sense. When you don't have a reference point to draw from, it's a little bit more of a steeper learning curve. But definitely, I see there's a lot, you don't have to be at the highest level to take this crossover um, the other arts. It's just again have an open mind and try. <laughs> have an open mind and try. I love that. Uh Mars, I think we'll we'll end on that bit of wisdom. Um can you tell people where they could find more of you or maybe work with you now that people are stuck inside and they want to still up their <laughs> You can find me at the Nomadic Mars on Instagram. I am currently offering some online privates, so virtual privates, and online coaching, which you can all access through uh, 
link on my Instagram bio. Um, my website is currently down, otherwise I would talk about it, but uh, it will shortly be up <laughs> and maybe like a couple of weeks again. Um, otherwise, I hope everyone's staying safe and being responsible in quarantine. If you have any questions about jiu-jitsu or like building a solo practice in this time, like always feel free to reach out. Um, DJ, it's been a pleasure chatting and sharing with you today. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I feel like there's a lot more we could cover. So hopefully we could do Absolutely. it again sometime on or off recording. Absolutely. Cool, cool. cool. All right, Mars, take it easy. <laughs>